0: The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Here we are. We find ourselves in uh, the books of Samuel, okay? First and second Samuel. We're going to kick off a seven, actually going to be an eight-week series. I didn't want Jimmy to have to preach right when he gets back from vacation. It's like, hey, man, hope you're rested, man. Get on up there. And so I actually will be... Uh, Speaking for eight weeks. And we will just start working our way through the book of Samuel, okay? And so a little background on Samuel. Uh, First and second Samuel, there are actually two books in the Old Testament. Um, They, in the original manuscripts, were just one complete book. Um, They were not split into two books until they were uh, translated into the Greek in what we know as the Septuagint. And so anyways, uh, we, a lot of people assume that Samuel is the author. Well, we've got a little bit of a problem with Samuel being the author, one being that he's born in chapter 2, so that means someone wrote chapter 1. Uh, and the other problem is he dies in the first book of chapter 24, I think it is. So anyways, not exactly sure who wrote Samuel, um, but that we know certainly his life was a major contributor of it. None of that matters a whole lot. We do know that the Word of God is completely inspired and valuable for teaching and encouragement to us today. And so uh, just a little bit of background there. Uh, oftentimes, uh, Samuel is, is spoken around kingship, right? So Samuel was, was uh, closing the chapter on the judges, right? The judges over the nation of Israel. And Samuel uh, begins the kingship, over the nation of Israel, so Samuel Samuel ends up. Uh, we'll read later on. He anoints King Saul right as the first king of Israel, and then Saul is uh, um, dramatically ushered out of his role, and the throne is then given to David, as was promised. Right? So Samuel played a critical role in God's plan for the nation of Israel in raising up a king to lead them, and so that's really exciting. The book spans 135 years, from the years 1105 B.C. to about 970 B.C. Um, it's interesting to know there were no major world powers at this time, like Egypt was down, Assyria was down, then all the major, po- Babylon, right? You know, the, the nation of Israel was in captivity to Babylon, and, and King Nebuchadnezzar, etc. Uh, there was none of that. All those, king, all those kingdoms had been weakened And so that's why, uh, you know, the famous Philistine Goliath, right? We read in Samuel, David and Goliath, the famous battle is in the book of Samuel, right? And so uh, at the time, the Philistines were the primary enemy to the nation of Israel at this time, uh, as well as the, the Philistines were to the west, the Ammonites, or to the east. And so we will get into that. Israel was in spiritual depravity at this time, like there, there was a spiritual darkness over the nation. In fact, the very reason that they uh, demanded that, that, king, that, that God provide them a king was because they wanted to be like the other nations that were around them. They wanted to be like the Philistines or like the Ammonites or the Hittites or the Jebusites. They wanted to be like these tribes or like these other kingdoms of the world. And so there's a lesson in there for us that may, may we not be like that. May we not desire God to provide for us as the world might see fit. And so we'll get into some of that. The priesthood was corrupt. Um, Eli had two, the priest at the time was Eli. He had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. We'll read about them. They were wicked. We'll read about, they actually were um, sleeping with the women that would bring sacrifices to the altar. They would fleece the flock in the sense that people would bring their sacrifices to the temple. They would tell them their sacrifice wasn't good enough. They would chuck the one that they brought, and they would sell them one that they had there conveniently located at the tabernacle. Okay, um, They were drinking. They were getting drunk on the, uh, the wine that was passed around the tabernacle. So there was wickedness going on in the priesthood. The Ark of the Covenant. The famed Ark of the Covenant, right, where the Spirit of God dwelt between the tabernacle, or dwelt between the cherubs in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies, right? It was not there. The Ark of the Covenant was not in the tabernacle. Idolatry was prominent, and the judges over the nation had become dishonest. And so this was a time, Samuel was raised up in a period of time where there was a spiritual darkness over the nation of Israel. It actually says in several chapters that we'll get into where the voice of the Lord was not heard in those days. Like they just didn't hear from the Lord. And so Samuel, man, I'm so excited to get into it because what an incredible prominent figure in human history, uh, certainly in biblical history, um, as Samuel was chosen of the Lord and was also dedicated to the Lord by his mother. And so we will get into that. Um, Let's start out. We're going to cover the first 18 verses of Samuel this morning, so follow along with me if you would, and um, I guess they'll have it up on the screen here. First Samuel, chapter 1, verse 1, we're going to read all 18 verses, and then we're going to unpack, okay? Follow along. Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, there'll be a quiz on that, Uh, of the mountains of Ephraim. And his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephraimite. So he was of the tribe of Ephraim. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion. Remember that. For he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed up her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb. that is, Elkanah's other wife, Penina, And her rival also, oh, I'm sorry, I just read that. So it was year by year, verse seven. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she, that is Hannah, wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why don't you eat? Why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul, bitterness of soul, and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, "'O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant,' But will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli watched her mouth. And Hannah spoke in her heart, and only her lips moved, but her voice was not being heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have not drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the word. I thank you for Samuel, and I thank you for this time that we can glean from him and from your word, Lord, that is spoken to us. Would we have receiving hearts today, Lord? Would the spirit of God speak uh, in truth and love in Jesus' name? amen. So as we unpack this, and I love in verse 1 where it talks about uh, Elkanah, right? So a specific man. It says, now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, right? I'm really glad that that's not where we live or not a city in Kansas. I would get really annoyed uh, telling people my address. But um, Elkanah, he was a certain man. And so I love that God doesn't necessarily Um, need us. In fact, God doesn't need us at all. God can work on his own. God can use angels. The spirit of the Lord could move uh, at will, but God doesn't operate like that. God often, in fact, always chooses a specific someone, a man or a woman, and so God is calling you and using you today. All of us, to some degree, are that specific man, specific woman called to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Elkanah was the father of Samuel, an unbelievable figure in the, in the period of time uh, that we're talking about here. And so I want you to think about that. Think about yourself as chosen, as a certain person of the Lord. Now I want to get into to, uh, th- this idea that Elkanah had two wives, right? Like man, two wives, I don't know. I thought that was kind of unchristian. You know, I thought the Bible speaks uh, one man, one woman kind of thing, right? And indeed, it does. Now you'll notice that in the scriptures, all through whether it's the Old or the New Testament, any time a polygamous relationship is mentioned, there is always strife and conflict associated with it, right? So cynics or critics might say, "Oh man, this is a Spartan scripture where." You know, uh, the Bible uh, honors polygamy. No, that's absolutely not the case. As you'll see here, Penina and Hannah were his two wives, right? Hannah had a closed womb, and Penina was, was uh, daily giving her grief and causing her lots and lots of trouble. And Elkanah was, was, was burdened by this, right? Like he later says um, in uh, verse 8, right? He says, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart grieved? The fact that Elkanah had two wives caused him some problems. Okay, um, so I wanted to throw that out there. But um, in verse three, it says, "This man went up from the city yearly to worship and offer sacrifice to the Lord of Hosts in Shiloh, and also his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, priests of the Lord, were there." We'll read later, and we'll get into some of this in the coming weeks. But Hophni and Phinehas were wicked, like I had mentioned. They were servants of the temple, right? They were in, the, I'm sorry, the tabernacle. They were servants as part of the lineage of the tribe of Levi. They were there to serve the Lord, and they were sons of what seems to be a righteous man in Elkanah. But the problem was um, they, they were not. They were wicked. But what I loved about Elkanah is that it said that he came and offered sacrifice yearly unto the Lord. And so a lot of times, uh, we, I found myself guilty of this in the past. Like, we want to, um, we're always asking, like, what can the Lord do for me? Or what can the church do for me? And we kind of gauge that on whether we show up to church or not, you know. A lot of us have opinions whether it's about this church or any other ones, like, oh, man, I wish the music was a little faster or a little slower or the light's a little brighter or darker or, man, I wish Ernie would get some better donuts out there or, man, maybe the coffee would be a little stronger, Jason. You know, come on, Quentin, get it. You know, and we do this. We have a tendency to, um, in our selfish nature, approach the kingdom or approach the church of God in a way that's like, how is it serving us? And what I love about Elkanah was, man, he just decided, I don't, I get it. Hophni and Phinehas are wicked. The priests of the Lord are not doing godly things. The, the, the tabernacle is not in the holiest of conditions. But Elkanah's heart was, man, I am going to worship the Lord. I am going to go and make an offer and a sacrifice unto God. And so I want to encourage you guys today in that, like, regardless of the circumstances uh, surrounding your life or your expectations of God or how he's uh, moving or serving you, I want you to um, offer yourselves as a sacrifice, whether it's in worship, whether it's financially, whether it's uh, with your hands and feet, actually uh, in, in acts of service. Just, uh, I, and I ask this question here. It's up on the board. What is God calling you to sacrifice? What is God calling you to sacrifice, and what does service to the Lord look like in your life? So just ask those questions. What is God calling you to sacrifice, and what does service to the Lord look like in your life? And certainly, um, I, I'm i reminded of Mark 9. I know Jimmy hit on it. I wasn't here last week. I served with Baseball Chapel, and I'll tell you a little bit more about how that's going uh, in a later week, but... Uh, I love the ministry of baseball chapel, but it isn't—it isn't is offer uh, an offering, you know, of my time uh, to the Lord. But um, in Mark nine, man, it talks about, uh, and I, I won't necessarily turn there. But Mark nine is the is the prayer of the Father, right? The Father with the with the with the child that's possessed by the mute spirit, right? And this mute spirit it, the, the Father brings this child to Jesus, and he says, "Lord, this." This spirit, this demonic spirit is in my child. And it throws him down and he vomits out the mouth. And, you know, I mean, the, he was torturing the child. And Jesus said, how long has this been happening? He said, from birth. Like, it's been like this for a while. And, um, and anyways, the disciples tried to cast this demon out and they couldn't do it. And so Jesus comes on the scene. He casts the demon out. Um, and, and, and this disciples ask him. The point of, of the story that I'm making is... Um, Well, I do love that the the father in Mark 9 says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief, right? That's a familiar passage to you guys. The father is desperate. Lord, I believe that you can heal him, but help my unbelief, you know? Um, But at the end, the disciples asked Jesus, why couldn't we cast the demon out? Like, we were trying to help. Jesus said, the power comes through prayer and fasting, prayer and fasting. I think those are two areas everyone in this room could work on is prayer and fasting. Some of you guys are prayer warriors. Some of you aren't. I'm kind of mediocre. I'm kind of in between. I do pray, but I don't, I, I wish I was better at taking more things to the Lord. I wish I was more like Hannah, which we'll read about, where she just laid it at the, at the, at the Lord, said that she poured her soul, she poured her soul out to the Lord. Um, and so our prayer life, and then fasting. I challenge the students in youth ministry to fast from something for 21 days. I mean, maybe the Lord's calling you to do that or not. That's not really a direct challenge um, to you guys today necessarily, but you know, fasting, certainly biblically speaking, is primarily talking about a, a food fast where we are depriving ourselves of the desires of the flesh, primarily food, in order to connect more, in a more intimate way spiritually with the Lord. And certainly that is an unbelievably healthy exercise Um, And if you have not partaken in that, you're missing out on a a healthy uh, spiritual experience. But I want to uh, encourage you guys, like a lot of us need to fast from something like our phones. A lot of us need to fast from the TV shows that we're watching. A lot of us need to fast from, you know, various forms of entertainment. Need to fast from uh, a number of different things, right? And so I would just encourage you, maybe pick one. The Lord's probably already laying one on your heart right now. Something that you know doesn't—you don't have to give it up for the rest of your life. Um, maybe you do. I don't know. Talk to the Lord about it. But um, at, but but seek Him on that. There's something in your life that we can um, that we can carve out and, and cut out to make more room for Him. The power comes through prayer and fasting. That's out of Mark nine. The Lord just reminded me that of this morning, so I wanted to share it. So moving on into verse seven, um, it. Uh, Let's see here. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. I love this, man. It it said that Elkanah, he felt bad that Hannah was barren, right? Like he, he knew it grieved her. He felt bad about that. And so what did he do? He gave her a double portion of everything, right? Everything, double portion. So here she is in a tabernacle. You know, should be a, a, um, a, a tremendous time at the tabernacle to offer a sacrifice, to come and worship, to be joyful about the Lord, to have a thankful heart. She's sitting there with a double portion, a double blessing, and it says here, she wept and didn't eat. So uh, the word here is, it's possible for problems in the home to make it difficult For you to be joyful in the Lord's house. and I know that's so true, man. And and, and for some of you, that may cut right to the heart. Like what's going on in your home can make it very difficult to have the right heart in the house of the Lord. Uh, And so it's on you guys. It's on, especially on the man of the house. Uh, If there's not a man in the house, you just got something that you have to come to grips with. That when there's division in the home, the joy is often sucked out in the church. I've been there. Like I, there, I've had seasons of life where i have coming to church and it felt difficult. It felt rhythmic. It felt forced. It felt uh, legalistic at times, you know, and, and all sorts of things. The sa- Satan comes in and tries to distract you and deter you constantly. And I've seen it with families in this church that we know and love. We love them greatly, but there's brokenness in the home. And then when they come here, it, it, it it's it's problematic. You know, husband doesn't come to church, wife doesn't come to church, they both don't come to church, kids aren't plugged into youth ministry. Next thing you know, like, you know, Jimmy and I are getting a phone call six months later and things aren't going well and it makes sense, right? You understand why, but may may that not be so is the encouragement, okay? So check yourselves. How is life in the home? How is life in the home? And I'm not suggesting that it always is going to be mountaintop fruitful, but you shouldn't remain in the valley too long. Make sure that you're working together, husband and wife, sorting out the issues that the enemy is using to distract you from being a blessing to the church of God as well as being blessed by him. Uh, So keep keep that in mind. I I encourage you guys with that. And, and, And I do want to jump down in verse 10 here. It says that she was in bitterness of soul. This was Hannah, barren in the womb. She wept in bitterness and she prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. May this be a lesson to us all. Like, it's so frequent when we are burdened by something, we go to someone else. We call our dad, or we call our counselor, uh, or our psychologist, or our boss when things are difficult at work, we, you know. And man, we need to be taking our burdens to the Lord. And so that's my next question to you guys. Like, are you taking your burdens to the Lord? And I want you to challenge yourself honestly with that. Are you casting the things in your life that are holding us down, frustrating us, burdening us, drying us out spiritually? We all have them, trust me, I I do. I got things in my life that are drying me out. And we need to take that to the Lord. We need to pour out our soul before the throne in prayer and in fasting so that we can hear from the Lord on what to do about it. And so I know that should be a challenge to some of you guys. Take your burdens to the Lord. And don't, um, not to say that you can't have friends, or you can't have parents, or you can't have a boss, but make sure that, like in Proverbs, it says to seek godly counsel. Make sure you're seeking counsel of the Lord. Make sure that you are casting your burdens before him first, and then let him lead you to others who may be speaking truth into your life. Um. Let's see, verse 11. So this is an exciting part where she says, she's vowing, Hannah is vowing to give her son. She said, Lord, if you will only give me a son, I will give him back to you all the days of his life. Like you can have him. Like I'm gonna raise him, I'm I'm gonna nurse him until a point where he is is substantially able to to care for himself and then he's gonna be offered to the priest, right? Like what an unbelievable prayer. Like I don't know if I can do that. Like, I don't know if I could give my son away and be like, Lord, he's yours. Like, I hope that's my heart. But, man, I know right now I'd struggle with it, you know. And so uh, we see just incredible commitment from Hannah here. And she says, uh, the part about no razor shall be come upon his head. You guys are probably reminded of Samson, right? Samson, strong Samson, the judge, right? And his hair was really long, and he lost his power when, when his hair was cut off, right? And you guys know the story. But they were what's called a Nazarite, so that may be a new term for you guys. Everyone say Nazarite, Nazarite. Kind of an interesting term, but a Nazarite was one that was devoted to the Lord from birth. And so, in Numbers six, Numbers six, it shares a few things that were specific about a Nazarite. Okay, one was that a Nazarite did not eat anything that was that was grown from a grapevine. Okay, and that that just showed. Um, the Nazarite's uh, commitment to resisting earthly pleasures, okay? So nothing that was grown on a grapevine, they were to, uh, it signified a distance from all fleshly pleasures. The second thing was, Nazarites could take uh, no part in any dealings with dead people. Like, that's kind of interesting, right? Like, they could take no part in dealings with dead people. No funerals, no burials, no nothing, Right? And what I, what I do like about that uh, is that it, it, um, it, it showed that the Nazarite, one who was devoted to the Lord, was to have greater cares than the ordinary joys and sorrows of life. Man, I really like that. Like we are called not to be Nazarites, but we are called to be devoted to the Lord. And we are called to have greater cares than the ordinary joys and sorrows of life. Simplicity is good, yes. You know, man, I enjoy a barbecue, you know. I enjoy a nice jug of sweet tea on a hot day. That's not what I'm talking about, right? It's just, if that is your definition of joy, then man, you are missing out on the life that the Lord has has called you to and has enabled you to through his work on the cross. So, keep that in mind. The third thing is not cutting the hair, right? It's a visible sign to others that you are devoted to the Lord. Do you have a visible sign that you are devoted to the Lord? Like, can people tell that you're devoted to the Lord? Like, I'm not suggesting you grow your hair out. Like, Abe, you look pretty sick with a long, with a long flow of locks, man. But, you know, it's, um, do, do you have a visible sign? I don't mean a cross necklace. I don't mean long hair. Uh, I don't mean a, a fish on the back of your car. I mean, can people tell that you know Jesus? Are there visible signs in your life that he is your Lord and Savior? And the last thing, I love this. She dedicated him to the tribe of Levi. And so Levi was a, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, right? Levi, a, a Levite, was their whole purpose was service in the temple, Okay, their whole point in their life was service to the temple, and they were already, as defined in Numbers, God's special possession. Okay, they were God's special possession, and so Hannah, as she devoted Samuel, she's promising, she's vowing to devote Samuel to the Lord all the days of his life. She's turning him over to the tribe of Levi, right? And that tribe was already a possession of the Lord's, and a and a Levite, their Specific ministry was between the ages of 30 and 50, as, in, uh, as written in the book of Numbers. But what I love about what Hannah did is it says, and it says right here, uh, I wrote down, Hannah took something that already belonged to the Lord, and she gave it to him in a greater way. Like, the dedication of Samuel as a Nazarite was a, was a greater dedication Than was just giving him to the tribe of Levi to serve in the temple. So the next question, this is the the last question I have for you guys, uh, and then we'll get on to the, uh, the big idea. Is God calling you to a deeper dedication? I know the answer to that is yes. But what does that look like? What is a deep, like you're already the Lord's, right? Like for those who are in Christ, like the gospel, Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin, right? And he was put in the grave three days, rose from the dead, ascended, and at the right hand of the Father. And for those who believe in him have eternal life, right? And so by faith, we believe in Jesus Christ. We are saved. We are secure in heaven. No one in this room can do anything to take away the salvation that I have in Jesus Christ because of my faith in him that was given to me by God. That's the gospel, right? Right? So we're all his that are in Christ. But what, like, now what do we do about that? Like, same with, with Hannah and Samuel. She gave Samuel, like, he's already a Levite. Like, he's given away, like, he's already there. But there's more. And this is not a call to works. That's not it. This is a call to deepen your spiritual life. This is a call to engage the fruitful nature of the Lord that he's given us by the power of his spirit. This is a call to say, is is there a deeper dedication? Is God calling you to something else than what you're currently doing? Like, it was funny, there was a guy in my youth group, I'm sorry, not youth group, D group, discipleship group, and I love this man, but he used to always say, I'd always ask him, I won't say his name, but I'd always ask him, Hey, man, how are you doing spiritually? He'd always say, man, I'm doing good. He'd always do that, humming along, man. Dude, if you're humming along, something's wrong. But that means you're super comfortable. That means that, like, you're not listening to the Lord. Like, he's not challenging you in any areas. If you're humming along, you probably haven't repented of something the Lord has convicted you of. If you're humming along, you haven't had a spiritual breakthrough, man, where you talk to Jesus about a dude at work, or you led a lady to Christ, you know, uh, in your neighborhood, or you encouraged a man who was walking in darkness. That's not humming, like we shouldn't be humming along, man. We go through seasons that suck, and then we also have moments of unbelievable joy, and where we declare like Samuel will later, man, it is the Lord. Like it is him. When something happens in your life that's a spiritual breakthrough, man, we declare it is the Lord, and we rejoice, and we get excited about it, not like, yep. You know? And so is God calling you to a commitment to baptism? Like some of you, are like many have been wrestling with this baptism thing. Commit. Just do it if the Lord is asking you to do it. Maybe more time in the word. Started off a new D group, asked the guys around the table. Some of them were in the Word, most of them weren't. Maybe you need to start being in the Word. That's, a, that's, like the, that's the minimum you could do to dedicate your life to the Lord. When you don't feel like getting in the Word, you definitely should be in the Word. When you don't feel like singing in church, you definitely should be singing. If your hands, you know, you're like, I don't know, man, if I'm going to put my hands up. Dude, put them up. Let the Lord work in your life. It's like the minimum you can do, you know? It's not saying if you don't raise your hand, you're not Christian. It's saying, man, start to do something. And the first thing that you do to do something different in your life, to show the Lord that you care to follow him is raise your hand and do it. Challenge yourself to that, man, and let it be uncomfortable. And be like, it's fine. The Lord is good. It's cool. That guy over there might be looking at me, going, "I've never seen that guy raise his hand before." So what, man? I'm getting a little movement here, you know? Let it roll. So um, maybe it's the maybe the deeper dedication is an answer uh, to answer the call to service. Like, man, you know, I know we had a little bit of a unique service last week, um, but we rolled out a video of like, "Hey, we we got we need a little help around the church, man. Like, we need, like host team, man. We need some people that want to." invite people into our church and love on them and be intentional with them, you know, like Molly's getting ready to have a baby, my wife, we're super thankful, number four, August 20th, right, so like when that comes, man, she's going to be out for a little while, and we need some people that want to step up and lead in, 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 uh, in the kids ministry downstairs, and that doesn't mean like, yeah, I'll show up and like hit play, you know, on some like, y- you know, Veggie Tales, man, like, no, Like, we want somebody to get down there with the kids and love on them and pray on them and lead the teachers, you know? Like, man, that is service to the Lord, and it's not easy, but you can still do it with joy, and even if you can't do it with joy, do it anyway. It's the minimum that you can do, right? And so um, I ask you, like, like, we didn't have a single card filled out last week. Like we kind of, I felt like I kind of had this, oh man, on the announcement video, man, I'm going to kind of push on the people a little bit. Like we need a little bit of help. You know how many we had stand up and say, I'll do that? Goose egg. Zero. I don't say that to beat you up. I say that like, come on, we need a little help. And, and it's not about Shay needs you or Jimmy needs you. Record. It's about the Lord is trying to raise you up. And so let, let yourself be raised up. Let yourself step into a next uh, season of life where you're being stretched. If you're not being stretched spiritually, you are not growing, period. If you're not being stretched, you are not growing. Maybe it's a commitment to discipleship. Like we've got discipleship groups coming out of the ground. Some Some of the folks are being released and they're getting ready to start new groups. You may be getting an invitation to join a disciple group. discipleship group, and you might be waffling a little bit, and that's okay. The enemy's going to come in and attack you and and try to convince you to either not join or to not commit or whatever, and pray about it for sure. But like when Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples, you don't need to take very long to think about whether you're going to join a discipleship group or go and lead one. Jesus commanded you to do it, okay? So if you don't do it, you're walking in disobedience, period. It's that easy, all right? So let me help you Make things simpler for you in your life as you want to grow. Um, So, and then maybe uh, it's professing Jesus as Savior for the first time. There may be somebody in here that's like, man, I've heard the gospel. I've been in church my whole life, this and that. But you don't know Jesus as Savior. Like, you don't know Him as Lord, man. Maybe that's the deeper connection that you need. You actually need to cross the line of salvation where you no longer know Jesus as a church figure or a historical figure, but you now know Him as Lord and Savior of your life. So I encourage you guys to think about that. Verse 13 here, 13 through 18. This is Hannah, right? It's funny that um, he thinks Eli, the priest, when Hannah's praying and pouring out her heart to the Lord, thinks she's drunk. And that's a little concerning, right? It's like there was activity going on at this time. Remember, uh, there was spiritual depravity around the temple and in the nation of Israel. It was a, there was darkness. There was spiritual deadness. You guys think there's spiritual deadness in the country today, in the world today? A little dead, a little, little some stench, some spiritual deadness? I think so. And so um, what, what I encourage you guys is, like, Hannah, she, she didn't care. Like, she went and she prayed, and he thought she was drunk. There were people, clearly, that had come to the tabernacle drunk, There had been people that had come to the tabernacle with a whole lot of problems, and that's okay. We want the people to come to the church with a whole lot of problems, but we don't want that to be the norm. This ought to be the place where people get freedom and encouragement, and they're able to step into the life that Jesus has enabled us to live by his work on the cross and the power of the Spirit. And so, um, but public prayers can be powerful and effective, but some of the most effective ones are silent ones. But I wanna challenge you to exercise both in your life. Exercise both, public prayers and silent prayers. Silent prayers in your abide time and just driving down the road or whatever, public prayers can be incredibly powerful because you can lead other people into a relationship with the Lord. You can encourage other people. That is, like we talked about earlier, that may be one of your signs, like the long hair, right? People can see that you're a Nazarite, that you're dedicated to the Lord by your long hair, A public prayer might be your symbol of dedication to the Lord. And I don't mean megaphone on 151st and Metcalf. I mean when you're bold and you see a need to pray with somebody at work and you pull a few folks in and you say, man, let's pray. Dude, that's powerful. And people know when you pray, they hear the spirit of the Lord moving in you. They're like, whoa, that felt spiritual or whatever, you know. And it is. But people need to be led in that, man, and have courage and boldness, man. Some of you are scared to pray out loud, and I still love you, but you need to work on that. You need help. Ask the Lord to help you, okay, because it, it, it's going to help you take that next step because people will then follow you. Um, this, this leads me to the big idea. Man, let's regain the joy, to regain the joys of Christian fellowship and to revive our faith requires us to pour our hearts out before the Lord, not tip. Some of us are tipping our hearts out before the Lord, like we got like this is all that the Lord has given us, and like this is our this is our soul, and we're like, yeah, Lord, you can have a little bit of Sunday morning. Yeah, Lord, I'll go to D group. Uh, I'll, yeah, okay, Lord, I'll pray for that guy. Man, it's like so weak, you know, just like beep, little. Po- The Lord's like, bro, you have it, you've got like a five-liter pitcher, dude. Like, let it rip, man. Pour it out. Pour it out. I was half tempted to like make a mess right here. Just, you know, I didn't do it because I'd have to clean it. Um, but I mean, I'm serious, like, are you just kind of tipping your heart out for the Lord? Like, are you just kind of giving him a little bit so that you're comfortable? If so, man, you're, you're selling yourself short and you're selling the Lord short. Remember, an inc- a critical part of the gospel is that you're not your own anymore. You're not your own anymore. You don't own you if you're a believer in Jesus, man. How's that feel? You're not yours. You're Jesus's, man. He died for you. You're a purchased possession by his blood. And if you believe that, then check yourself. Like, are you living like you're your own? Or are you living like you're Jesus's? Check yourself on whether you're poured out or you're tipped out. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.